Thank you so much, Praise Band. What a great morning of worship. <clears throat> Today, I invite you to open your Bible and look with me. We're going to resume our series in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter number four. And we're talking about empowered to advance. And how did the early church respond to threats? There was increasing building threats and agitation toward this movement within Judaism that was this movement of Christ followers. Their allegiance and loyalty to Jesus, preaching that he was Messiah and that he indeed was risen from the dead. And this was causing great consternation, agitation among the Jew, Jewish leaders. And at this time, Christianity was really embedded within Judaism. And so persecution is getting ready to happen, and the gospel will be spread worldwide. Notice how the early fledgling church deals with these threats from the outside, and that ought to help us and give us some principles about the persecution that we will face in our own lives because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me that we live in a day of increasing persecution against Christianity and Christians and the gospel? We see it every day. We see it in Muslim strongholds. We see it in places like Iraq and Syria and, and, and uh, Iran and, and Indonesia and Bangladesh and and. and, and some European countries, and we also see it in China, and we see it in India, and we see it in the stands, the different countries. So, but we also see it in secular society. We see it in the radical left and radical sec- socialist kind of ideas people with an agenda to change America and make it different. And there's, it's not only in America, but it's in the Western world, wanting to limit speech, limit debate, limit freedom of religion. Am I the only one that sees this? And the result is that in some places, the preaching of the Word of God and the teaching of it is now being called hate speech. And because of that hate speech, it becomes a crime. And that crime then becomes punishable. This is where it's moving. And I believe, and I would not have believed this as a boy or young man, but I believe that in my lifetime, in this country, we're going to see persecution break out against Bible-believing churches in an increasing way. And we should not be shocked, but we should be prepared. It's always been that way. Jesus said it would be that way. Look with me, or just listen to, and before we read this text, I'm going to read a different text, all right? In John's Gospel, chapter number 15, Listen to verse number 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me 
before it hated you, Jesus said. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Understand, that's the words of our Savior. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, Blessed are you when men persecute you, insult you, say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward, which is in heaven. Folks, The end game is not the persecutors here on this earth. It's God in heaven that judges rightly and justly. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Persecution comes to all of us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great uh, Lutheran pastor and professor who died as a martyr at the hands of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime, wrote, from his Flossenburg cell in 1937, these words, Suffering is a badge of the true Christian. The disciple is not above his master. Luther, Luther reckoned it so. Listen to, and Bonhoeffer quotes Martin Luther. He said, among the marks, he, Luther considered it among the marks of a real church. And one of the memoranda drawn up in his preparation of the Augsburg Confession of Faith similarly defines the church as a community of those who, quote, who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering of Christ. And it's therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called on to suffer. Folks, we should not. Be surprised by this. Bishop Sheen said, one advantage to being knocked on your back is you're facing toward heaven. Now, how did the early church respond to these threats and persecution? And then how do we respond to it? And that's the lesson for today. That's the sermon for today. I I, I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse number 5. And we're going to look through verse number 20. So if you have your Bible, look with me to the book of Acts and chapter number 4, beginning with verse number 5. The next day, the rulers and elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, By what power, what name have you done this? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today about a good deed done to disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone 
despised by you builders who's become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, realized they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and knew that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had healed, been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called them for them, ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. But we're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Amen. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. And the first thing I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture is that they refuse to be intimidated. They refuse to be intimidated. And you know what? That's what we must do as well. We must refuse to be intimidated whenever they began to come against us. Now, this was an intimidating situation. Look with me in verse number 5. Verse number 1, actually, it says, They were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple guard, and, and the Sadducees confronted them. And, um, um, and they were provoked because they were preaching the name of Jesus. And they seized them, and they put him in jail, and they kept him overnight in jail. But notice in verse number 4, it says that the number of men grew to 5,000 who were followers of Jesus Christ. The church was growing and flourishing. The next day, they haul them out from prison where they've kept them, and they bring them before the rulers and elders and scribes that are assembled there, and they bring them before the Sanhedrin. This is... um, they, they, They bring them before... Um, before them, and, and, and they're threatening them. Now, you'll remember what set this whole thing up. is Peter and John were on their way to the temple in the hour of prayer, and there was a man that was begging there for alms, and they said, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise and walk. They reached down their hand. He reached up his. He put his hand in theirs, and immediately strength came to his legs, and that man was healed miraculously on the spot, began to leap and praise God and walked into the temple complex and was giving testimony that his life had been radically changed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so when that happened, a large group of people came and listened to the gospel and Peter and John preached the Lord Jesus to them. And so the whole temple complex was turned upside down and many were turning to Christ and being saved. This in Infuriates the Sadducees in particular. And they were like a, a ruling class among the Sanhedrin. About the, they, they really weren't the lead persecutors against Jesus. They were more of a secular group, a political class of people. They were materialistic and rationalistic. 
they denied the supernatural. They denied that there were evil spirits. They denied there were angels. They denied the resurrection of the dead. They didn't really believe that the Messiah is literally coming, but it's more of an idea of liberty. And so they, they were a ruling class, a political class. They were power hungry. But they, but they are offended by the preaching of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead because they think it's a political threat to them. And so they turn against the early church, these secularists, and they're trying to intimidate them to shut up. But they're always guarded because they're politically calculating how they deal with this movement. And obviously there's a man whose been, life's been changed and everybody knows it. They'd all walked by this guy scores of times from years. They had walked by this person. They all knew him. They had probably contributed to him. But now he's standing perfectly healed, over 40 years old, never been able to walk in his life, and he's giving testimony that the name of Jesus Christ has done this. So they try to intimidate John and Peter by bringing them before this Sanhedrin, this council. Now, presiding is Annas. Annas has been the lead Sadducee and chief priests. And, and it, while other chief priests are named, like Caiaphas, for over 60 years they are all related to Annas. Either his, one of his five sons or his son-in-law are the chief priests. So they're like the ruling class. They're the intellectual elite. They're the ones with political power. You might say they were part of the swamp of Jerusalem. And so they're trying to intimidate them, to be quiet. They had them stand before them. Now, now look how intimidating this would be. Here's Annas. Here's Caiaphas. Here's John, Alexander, these important Sadducees, a handful of uh, and priests, and, and some Pharisees. And it's like the Supreme Court. And they bring Peter and John to stand right before them, these Galilean fishermen, to give an account by what power or what name you're doing this. It is nothing but sheer intimidation. Now listen, two months prior, that same council convened, and who stood before them? Jesus. So just two months prior... They witnessed this from a distance, Peter in particular, and you remember that he denied Christ while they were examining him. The same people. And they have followed through on their threats and had killed Jesus. Don't you know that, it, that what intimidation to them? But they refused to give in to that intimidation. And so they asked the question, what, by what name, what power? Well, that just opened the door for them to give testimony to the name of Jesus Christ. Why, why do you think that they could be so bold? Look with me to Romans chapter 8, verse... <clears throat> we'll skip a couple of slides. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How we not also with him grant us everything? Verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than victorious through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded, Paul wrote, that not, that not even death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of a God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why did they refuse to be intimidated? Because you gave Jesus everything you had. And you lied about him. And you took him to Pilate. And they killed him at your persuading. But God raised him from the dead. And if he's for us, who can be against us? We're not afraid of you. What are you going to do, kill us? He rose again from the dead. Somebody ought to say amen right there. That gives you strength. Amen? And refuse to be intimidated. Secondly, proclaim the name of Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter does. He says, you ask what power, what name? I'll tell you by what power, by name, what name. And verse number 10, look with me in our text. And he says, <clears throat> Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing healthy. This Jesus, the, the stone the despised by you builders has become the cornerstone. He quotes a messianic psalm, Psalm 119, 118. And he says, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name given among men. Under heaven, by, whereby you must be saved. He says it's the name of Jesus Christ. It's by Jesus' power and Jesus' authority. In Acts chapter 3, 6, he says, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. In Acts chapter 3, verse 16, It is faith in his name that made this man whole. Paul wrote concerning the name of Jesus that God has given him a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's in a name? It's, it's his character, his person, it's his power, it's his authority. It's found in the name, and that's the name of Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth that you despised, but God raised. You want to know the power of that name? The Apostle John saw a picture in his mind, and he saw a, a coming event in his mind. He saw one coming, a horse coming out of heaven, a white horse. And on that white horse, there was a rider. And that rider's name was Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes are like flames, Paul, uh, John says. And many crowns are on his head. And there's a name written on him that no one knew except himself. And his robe was dipped in blood. And there was a name, the Word of God. 
And then it's concerning that name. There's a name written on the robe and on his thigh. And it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm telling you about what name. It's the name of God Almighty that that man stands whole. Amen? Wow. No other name. He said, there's no other name, no other person. There's no other way to salvation but in the name of Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth, whom you killed, whom God raised from the dead. That's the only name. Folks, it's important that the church of Jesus Christ, in the midst of threats and persecution, stand strong, refuse to be intimidated, and proclaim without wavering, it's the name of Jesus Christ. That has changed my life. Why do you say that's important, Pastor? Because the whole emphasis and persecution against the church right now is against evangelicals that say there's only one way to be saved and it's in Jesus. You start talking about God, people just, they'll they'll give you a pass on that. But you start talking about Jesus and they don't give you a pass on that. And then listen, when you start talking about how Jesus changed my life, how Jesus is the only way, and if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, you're lost. God loves you. God's opened a plan and a way. And Jesus died and Jesus rode again. And the only way you can be saved is in Jesus. Persecution will come. But don't waver. Don't in, to be intimidated. And don't say, well, you know, there might be other ways to get to heaven. And, and God, no. No, there's only one way. And that's in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Peter did. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Folks, it's time for the church to be bold and preach Jesus only. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, stand boldly for the truth. Notice, Notice in verse number 18. So... They see the boldness of Peter. They realize they're untrained and uneducated men, but they've been with Jesus. They see the man that's standing there healed. There's nothing that they can do about it. So they decide that they're going to threaten them. Now listen to what they do. So they called them, verse 18, and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you decide, but we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen or heard. What they're saying is, what's right, you decide what's right in your own eyes, but let me tell you about us. We can't stop telling what we know. We're going to tell you what we have seen. Notice the end of this, verse 20. What we have seen and what heard. That's what a witness does. He tells what he's seen and what he's heard. He tells what he knows to be true. And they were witnesses to the truth, what they've seen and heard. Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ. In his own flesh, Peter, just a few months, weeks before, had been intimidated and fear-filled. As a matter of fact, when he was... Before that same Sanhedrin court, Jesus, all night long, and they're examining him, persecuting him, mocking him, slapping him, 
making fun of him, accusing him of blasphemy, telling lies about him, Peter becomes so filled with fear that a slave girl asks him, aren't you a Galilean? Aren't you one of his followers too? And he curses and denies it three times. Before daybreak, when the rooster crows, he's denied the Lord three times, just as Jesus told him. Jesus told Peter, he says, Satan's asked to sift you, but I prayed for you, Peter. But after the resurrection, after he's been restored to Christ, after he's been filled and empowered by the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looks at that Sanhedrin council and says, you boys decide what's right or wrong. But as for me and John, we can't help talking about what we know to be true. Jesus has risen again. Woo, man. Where's that come from? God's Holy Spirit, God's presence in their life. Amen. Peter Cartwright was a Methodist circuit riding preacher here in Illinois. And uh, he was a powerful preacher of God's Word. He was known to just, when he started preaching, just to let it loose, let it fly, and tell the truth just as he saw it from God's Word. And and one day, the deacons met the pastor before the worship service. He says, Brother Cartwright, President Andrew Jackson is in the congregation today. Would you... I just, we just want you to know. So you might just kind of be a little careful because it's the pres, President Jackson's here. He said, well, thank you, men, for letting me know. He got up to preach. He started preaching. He said, by the way, I understand that President Andrew Jackson's in the house today. He said, and I'll tell you this, unless President Andrew Jackson repents of his sin, he's going to hell. (laughs) All the deacons and leaders went, oh, my God. They were so concerned that he had offended the president. Afterwards, the president said, I want to meet the pastor. He goes and meets the pastor. He says, Pastor Cartwright, he said, if I had men like you in my, in my troops, he said, we'd with the world. He said, I thank God for you and your truthfulness. Amen. There was a truth in these men that you couldn't stop. I'm going to skip the Acts 5 passage. It's a very similar passage in Peter's uh, in Acts chapter 5. Notice the next main point. Next slide, please. That we gather with other believers. And this is important. Notice after they have warned them and after they've, they've, uh, after they've let them go, and threaten them. They don't know what to do with these men. And notice what happens. Verse 21, after threatening them to further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, his sign of healing had been performed. And after they released them, verse 23, they went to their own fellowship, reported 
all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God unanimously and said, and so notice in this passage of Scripture, what's the first thing they do? After they're let go, where do they go to? Verse 22, 3. They went to their own people. I want to park here for just a minute. They went to their own people and reported everything that had been said to them and all that had happened to them. By the way, underline that in, in, in your mind or in your Bible. Their own people. They knew the importance of gathering back with other believers, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your local church is important for your life. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, he says, let's hold fast our confession of faith. Let's draw near to God. Let's watch out and care for one another. Let's stimulate and provoke one another to love and good deeds. And let's don't neglect gathering together, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord coming. And when difficulties and threats and persecution, how much more do we need one another now than in any other time? Don't neglect it. We need each other. We need each other to be faithful. Can I say something here? Thank you. I'll assume that's yes. I want you to look at me. Your church attendance is important. You're not hearing me. Your church attendance is important. We need each other. We need something happens when we gather together and worship God here together that can't happen anywhere else. The Spirit of God does something when we all come together and we pray for each other, we love each other, we encourage each other, we lift one another up. We need each other. And we need God's presence among us. We need one another. Would you, would you just humor me? Would you do this? Would you just turn to the person next to you and say, I need you? Yeah. That may seem a little weird, but that's all right. It's not weird. Tell the person next to you, you need me. If you guys make it weird, that's that's on you. (laughs) 
this thing called a church isn't man's idea, it's Jesus' idea. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell cannot stand up against it. My folks, the word church means called out, those who assemble together in the name of Christ. We need each other. Persecution, Satan and all of his forces coming against us, and we're going to every ball game, every picnic, every excuse, and not making this priority in your life. I'm telling you, this is important. And you need to treat it as important. Man, we're part of God's army. We need encouraged and filled up, fueled up, fired up to go and be the people of God. We need the Lord and we need each other. Amen? <laughs> Number five, pray together. In united concern. Look at verse 24. When they had heard this, they raised their voices. Now notice, when they heard the report and the persecution that John went through, they all together, raised their voices to God and said, Master, you're the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Notice, they all are together, raising their voices. Verse 25, you said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of your father, save David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact... In this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand had planned and predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Grant your slaves that we may speak the message with complete boldness. And while you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What was included in this prayer? First of all, he said, God, you created all of heaven and earth. All of it is yours and your authority. God, you are sovereign. You've seen what they did, how they came against your servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. God, you've seen all of that. But God, not only you are creator, and not only are you omnipotent, and not only is all power yours, God, but God, you are sovereign, and you were carrying out, even when they did evil, you were carrying out your predetermined plan. You were sovereignly working. You're omniscient. You're in control. God, you are the ruler and king. We're trusting you. God, you hear their threats. Would you take note of their threats? They didn't ask that they would be released from the threats. They said, God, you know their threats. But God, we're yours, and we give ourselves fully and completely to you. Help us to speak the word with boldness. Grant us the ability to preach your name with boldness. Isn't that fantastic? So that is the prayer of their heart. Your creator, your anointed one is from you, Jesus Consider them, but grant us boldness. Folks, we need to be a praying church. We need to be a praying church. Let me just share this with you. 
This church was united together when they heard of persecution against Peter and John. And they lifted up them before the Lord all together in one voice. Can I say something to you? Listen. Whenever believers are being persecuted anywhere, we are connected to them. We're a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Can you please say amen with me? Amen. So when our brothers and sisters are persecuted, we need to be praying and lifting them before the Lord God Almighty in prayer. Number six, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Notice they were filled with His Spirit. And they spoke with boldness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine that leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. How am I filled with the Holy Spirit? That means my life is fully and completely yielded to Jesus Christ. Anybody here know somebody that's stubborn? Can you raise your hand? I am so stubborn. We've got a witness over here. (laughs) The stubbornness, it runs deep in me. Comes from my mom's side of the family, I think. And... You tell me, to, I'm with some, you, you try to force me to do something, I, I dig my heels in. That's my nature, right? It's not a, necessarily a godly characteristic. But I want to baptize that characteristic. I am not to be stubbornly independent. I need to be stubbornly dependent. And I need to stubbornly dig my heels in and say, I will not follow any other master. I will not listen to any other siren voice. I will listen to the voice of my king. And I will stubbornly submit to him as the Lord of my life. That is when you'll be filled with the Spirit of God. And he'll use you powerfully. Woo! That was for me today. Number seven, speak God's word with boldness. Consider the threats. Grant your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place they were assembled was shaken. and They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with what? May we boldly follow Christ. Transforming the world one person at a time will only do that if we speak the gospel with boldness. Gregory Gomez, 10 years ago, was preparing to graduate from Ole Miss. 10 years ago, he had already interned for Ralston Perina, Nestle. Ten years ago, he had a job promised him as an engineer. 
Ten years ago, they said, Greg, if you can start as soon as school is done, we'll put you to work. And ten years ago, he said, I must go to Peru to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they said, we'll keep your job for when you come back. Ten years ago, he walked the mountains and the hills of Peru, preparing the way for the bold gospel of Jesus to be preached. And ten years ago, he died in a wreck. But God ushered him in to his presence. I'm telling you, there is no loss of reward when you boldly obey the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts and our lives in this invitation today. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they might turn and give their heart and life to him and be saved. Father, please have your way in our lives. Lord, help us to submit and yield to you. Help us to learn lessons from these men. These men that suffered threats and intimidation and real persecution. How they, how they stayed true to you. And Father, may we stand strong and stay true to you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.